This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hi, Andy. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hello, Andrew. Three decades into a career filled with hits behind songs fueled with impactful messages. Everclear refuses to let time define them. Having recently released their in-concert album, Live at the Whiskey-A-Go-Go, and new video for the awesome song and great video, Sing Away. Today, we're joined by lead singer, songwriter, guitar player, and founder of Everclear, Art Alexakis. So thank you for joining us on the Music Buzz, Art. Welcome. Well, well, thank you, boys. Thank you for having me. Of course. Before I did that intro, we were talking about colonoscopies just uh, for all of us. (laughs) We know what's going on here. We were talking about old man stuff. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Man, it just, last night, that was a rough one. You want to see pictures of of the polyps they took? Yeah, How many polyps, if if you don't mind us asking? Fifteen. Holy Whoa, dude, crap. that's a lot. When's the last two, time you had one? Five years. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm going in soon. They took three that time, and you're supposed to start in your 50s. Now they're saying 40s, right? Yeah. And so my wife's 41. They're trying to get her to go. And I'm yeah. like, just do it, man. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's not that. The prep is a drag. Now, I got to ask, how about, did you do the pills? The pills? Are the best? Yeah. No, I did the old school stuff where Maylox. You got to well, it's not Maylox. It's something like that where you put the powder yeah. in the Gatorade, uh, uh, drink eight glasses of it, and then yeah. you drink, then you got to drink a bottle of. Uh, I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do uh, 
what was it? Magnesium citrate. My, mine was easier just in case you guys want to try this. You have to take 12 pills twice. No, it's just pills. And then, then you don't have to drink that goop. Then you could just, but you got to drink water. You got to drink like three or four waters. And then you do that again three hours later, and you don't have to. I couldn't gag that stuff down. Man. Oh, me like, either, man. I haven't been able to drink Gatorade <laughs> since that 10 years ago when I mixed all that crap in there. So try it next time. We were talking to Wendy Dio the other day, and she was talking about all the money that they've put in the Ronnie James Cancer Foundation research stuff. She said they're working on at UCLA some sort of like, like a mouth swab thing. So you don't even have to freaking do this anymore. Yeah, but you know what, man? I don't have a problem with it. Look, like I said, they took one that was four centimeters, which is big, one that was two centimeters, and then a bunch of little ones out. There was a big one. He goes, I took a really big one out. Wow. He goes, it doesn't look like it's pre-cancer, but of course, it's right now it's all at the lab account getting checked out and it's not that big of a deal i had two that were precancerous but at some point almost everybody has one that is you know and it's like so don't get too weirded out about that even if it is man you know i I, with all the stuff and adversity and and health stuff you know as you get older man it just gets harder it just no matter who you are it's, it's just harder and Thank God, because of my sobriety and my where I'm at in my life right now, I just we're touring constantly. We're doing a hundred shows a year. The younger younger bands can't do that. They're a bunch of sissies. They can't yeah. <laughs> hundred shows a year. You know, sixties. I'm sixty four, and I played seventy seven from February first until the end of June. Respect them, and I've beaten them as hard as I can still. And I've had two uh, road rotator cuff surgery so yeah it's that's no fun either let's not even get started with that so hang on to your shoulders when you're younger you do. you, you're doing road stories about like girls that you've been with and oh no yeah one, and then when you get older it's just you're talking about <laughs> man yeah. you start talking about we need to start a new yeah. podcast basically the four of us just talking about health issues just, you know just you know what vitamins you're taking and it's like before the gig i take this vitamin b this liquid stuff you can get that's like b12 a big couple droppers of it and bass player and i it's like man i used to pay a hundred dollars to feel like that <laughs> just take a couple of those and I, I, I was talking to my cardiologist friend the other day and and apart from the fact that as artists we we all kind of get a little weirded out about the fact that images and music and lyrics are being spat out by by ai apparently ai in the medical field uh because ai is you know billions of times times smarter than we are is going to be an asset it's already well, i think ai is going to be an asset in a lot of things in this world but it but like anything if you misuse it that's the likelihood. That's the sad. You know, the- if 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 you let yourself fall to human frailty, as we all have, uh, and we all do sometimes, um, that's therein lies the rub, right? I mean, you know, people are using it. It's like, have you ever used it? I did it the other day. I said, write a song about this and this and this and this, and I wrote a song. It's pretty good. <laughs> I yeah, gotta, I gotta say, <laughs> I, I would yeah. change like four lines, but how can you not? You know, it, it's like to us, it's anthema, right? It's it's like machines, wrong, 
Um, the next generation is going to be like, why are those old people talking about this? this is awesome. Right. I don't have to do my yeah. homework. AI is going to do my <laughs> homework. We were talking about it a little bit, a few years. This has been two or three years ago. I pitched and and, and had a, like a big feature in Rolling Stone about AI songs. And the, the I forget the the headline was something like AI writes new Nirvana song, right? And so and you can Google it and read the story, but um, and it kicks out a song that sounds like a Nirvana song, and there was a Doors song as well, and somebody else I forget. But I was telling these guys like they sounded like it, but it had no soul. You know what I mean? It's like you listen to it, like yeah, that sounds kind of good, kind of like Nirvana, yeah, but it has nothing. It there's has still it, something it, missing. It's hollow. Yeah, yeah there's something yeah, it's, about it. It's right? a it's a black and white sketch, right? It, it's it's got nothing. In it. There's there's no gist to it. You know what a fan did? He said he did a with AI a version of Teen Spirit with wanted it to sound like. Art Alexakis from Everclear singing it. Have you heard it? It's interesting. At times, I could see what it was, what, what where it was going, and at times, it just it, it it wasn't really there. It was frightening. It was a little frightening to me. If it's a tool you use constructively and and uh, ethically and all of that, if like you say, it becomes the underpainting or the sketch for a song, and it nudges you or inspires you, and you don't just simply take it and rip that piece of digital um, digital stuff off and you use it and then you reperform it and then you build from the sketch. Then I see where you're going with it. I still think it's cheating. I think so too. How do you think as an artist, I feel that you can spit out you know, these rather gorgeous fantasial images that are all born of a massive library of, of, of images. Incredible brain. Yeah, of just so many megabytes, of just of uh, uh, terabytes and gigabytes of, of, yeah. of billions and billions of those of yeah. information. No, I, I get what you're saying. That's why I said nudge. I didn't mean borrow or. You're absolutely right. But you, you know, as well as I do, that's a slippery slope for a lot of people. If two lines from an otherwise flaccid set of lyrics comes out of an AI. Do you give them do you give them credit for it though? I don't know. Um okay. well, just do the John Lennon and, and steal, you know, steal a couple lines and then pay for it later. <laughs> well, if someone's in the room with me and they come up with a line, I am bound by my craft to give them credit. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Should, yeah. The song. yeah. Um, are we in Nashville change a word, get a third. Written by Bill. Lassie and, and AI, is AI going to start getting writer, writer credits? I think intellectually it would read well if you actually said, you know, the title came from AI. I mean, someone would give you credit for being ethically forward enough to say that. You know, if a good title came from, speaking of good titles, you guys as a band have got great album titles. You know, I love, yeah, you guys are phenomenal. Um, that matters a lot because nothing's, you know, for an art director getting kind of a, a boring when i went to capital in 94 um we 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 were like the product of a of a bidding war and people were like god it happened so quick for you i go man i've been playing guitar since i was 14 i was 32 Didn't yeah. come quick. and i built myself up i had my own record label for a while moved to portland started started everclear it was going to be my last band because i was 30 years old which was yeah getting up there <laughs> and right 
Ancient. <laughs> when the labels came after me, I'm like, I want this much money. I want this many firm records. I want touring support. I want three quarters mechanicals. When we hit um, 100,000 records, it goes to full mechanicals for the rest of the thing. And they're like, oh, God, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, because I was 32 and I'd seen all my friends over the years get their asses kicked and just destroyed. And I'm like, and I'm, they're like, well, that's great. That's all great. And there was like 27 labels and they're all like, great. And I go, oh yeah, by the way, I want total creative control over everything. And I get to produce my own records. And so those are two left. Uh -oh. two labels that's left the turd there. and the punch bowl there. <laughs> Boom. It's tossing in the turd, right? Well, that's one way to say it. Thank you for your Midwest. Your Midwest. My hillbillyisms, I'm known for. Dude, I'm half hillbilly. I can get down like that. I'm yeah. half hillbilly, half Greek. Um, but, um, did you work with yeah. Tommy Steele? Because that was the Tommy Steele. Yeah, day. yeah. Well, Tommy, Tommy was the head of the art department. I like Tommy, you know, a lot. I mean, he would, but I didn't. I didn't use Tommy. I used my own guys. Well, honestly, as eclectic, and I like varied. I mean, you talked earlier about the Rush covers. That's a band that, according to the credo and the lyric that Neil once wrote, got to deviate from the norm. And I always loved the fact that. As a band, they allowed me to venture into some very, sometimes areas that sort of were unsettling to them because they were so minimal. But the woman crouching in despair on on your, uh, I forget the title of that album. Um, World of Noise. Oh, yeah. First record, yeah. I love that. And I, I, and I love the, the, uh, the one of the dog in the bedroom because that is just such a perfect reference to, you know, welcome to the drama club. Um, I mean, you can just, it's just. He, he's looking over to the side. If you can see in the mirror behind the bed. There's, oh. A, there's a naked woman pulling. Well, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pulling up her, pulling up her pants. Not naked. She's got underwear. That's my wife. She's pretty hot. Um, yeah. But um, the, the just the idea of the bed, welcome to the drama club. I mean, that's, that was a divorce record, right? And that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was our first record, not on a major label. So I didn't have a big budget to do that. I didn't have any budget really. Um, but that could have been a, that could have been a hypnosis cover because when you look at presence, well, that's big words. Thank you. Well, that, cause I loved how, um, I grew up with hypnosis covers. Yeah. yeah I, I actually yeah. had, I had dinner with Best. that with storm twice. And, and when you look at presence, that, that kind of fifties era, mid-century family at a table it's very it's so photojournalistic even though it's kind of creepy because it's got the obelisk it's very to me that's a kind of a a storm cover because of the way it's set up you know i think it, it really works but your titles man i mean i i love the slow motion the the uh slow motion daydream just that that the vortex of concentric circles from from both hitchcock and from rod serling you know there's just something quite and then Sparkle and Fade, what a great title, you know, and just knowing that, you know, and that speaks to me because Neil, who, Neil Peart, who had some tragedy in his life. Yeah. Um, oh, so much tragedy. Yeah. So, oh, no kidding. But for him, for him to come back to play with the band after five years and explain to me what he wants to accomplish with Vapor Trails, which was the title, the first title of their first album, he said the one thing he's discovered in life is that we sparkle and we fade. And here you are with, I assume these are 
these are ren renderings of you guys, uh, or are these just random? No, those kids? are baby pictures of us. Yes, in, in, yeah, on, yeah. On the front, the sparkle when we're when we're you know that picture in the suit in the middle was when I was um I was at a graduation of nursery school. What they call preschool now, but we called it nursery school back yeah. in the day. Mm -hmm. Yep, sure did. I, I wore a suit and this little girl comes up to my mom and goes, Arthur looks so handsome. He looks like a husband. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He looks like a husband. It's 1966, boys. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. I got that cover right here. This is signed by you guys because, so I was in college, working college radio at the time in, in a small uh, CMJ reporting station. You guys were actually the first band that I interviewed and got liners from for the station. And the, it was at the Egyptian room in downtown Indy. Yeah. Me and a buddy I, went up and we I remember got, that show. Yeah. I got backstage and you guys gave us a couple liners for the station. And that was the, uh, that was the beginning of my career was working. At and you station. got old. I know man. Right. <laughs> Call them damn late nights. That's right. <laughs> oh, welcome to the party. Rock and roll, man. <laughs> so the front is sparkle, right? That's us as kid. Now the, the back picture of the book has, the fade part right and and it's like me a shot of me when i had um i had just shot up like over a half a gram uh, about 30 cents of, of cocaine and me and my best friend and we got on a motorcycle and we drove through the worst part of venice california this is in 1980 81 and um you grew up there i grew up on the west side yeah Santa Monica, our big hit off that record, our first big hit is a song called Santa Monica, which I, you know, I grew up, I was born in Santa Monica Hospital and grew up in Santa Monica. Off and on, lived in the housing project in Culver City, which is about 10 miles away. Uh, but yeah, I'm a West Side boy. But when we moved back to California uh, in 2010, we wanted to live somewhere warmer. So we live in Pasadena now and love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, beautiful up there. I, yeah. I used to live out in L.A. for 16 years. I, I went for six weeks, stayed for 16 years, but um, just because it, you know, it's, it was in that era when the music business was in its zenith, really. And it was just a good time to be there. But yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, that that's what I talked about when we got signed in 94. That was the last hurrah of the old school music business when money was shooting out of the ground. Right. You know, if, if you had a successful record, you call up your, I call up my label president, get him on the phone because I was making him money. And I was like, you know what? I got to buy my soon to be ex-wife a house. Can you uh, front me 500? No problem. In my account the next day. <laughs> Those are long gone, aren't they? Long you, gone. For you bring up a good point. I was watching that little documentary earlier this morning that you guys did. It's like uh, with Matt Penfield hosting, talking yep. to you. 30th anniversary. And you were referring to it earlier. We had like 30 offers or whatever. And I, I remember thinking when I was watching that earlier, it was like, man, that, that was kind of the end of that. <laughs> it was. Know? Yeah. It was. That was that was a few years before Napster, right? Mm -hmm. That was Napster came out what 98, 99, right? Yeah, 97, 98, yeah. Yeah. And it just like, and I knew then that it was gonna be the end. The way the music industry was acting, like, no, we're just gonna ignore it and and tell people not to use it. And I'm like, you're idiot. <laughs> Good luck. You're idiot. Learn yeah. how to monetize it and how exactly. everybody can get paid by it. And for a short while, 
very short while that's what happened until the music streaming companies came out and now no one gets paid but the them and the labels and my other beef which is you know it's not lost on us but when you when you put out an album sometimes it's a collection of songs sometimes it's technically a work the wall was a work abbey road was a work you you really you needed to show the respect to the album and you wanted to immerse yourself in the whole experience now people will go and they'll look at the long gray line in itunes saying oh here comes the sun looks like the popular one let's buy that one and then the rest of the album they never hear they don't even the intention spans are so small now instant gratification everywhere you go oh i need to know something right 100 percent, brother they don't even listen to the whole song now. Younger kids don't even want to watch movies anymore. They're too long. Too oh, long. yeah. I mean, yeah. You can't stay. <laughs> They're too long. Can't focus on anything that long. this, man, if you can't say it in 15 seconds, they don't want to know about it. And it's doing them a disservice for sure. But you said about um, where people's mindsets are at. They're the, you know, it's evolving into a way that, into a place that is kind of alien to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, and and let's let's acknowledge every generation thinks it's at at the end, right? We think we're, we've hit in the bottom of 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 Western civilization. We haven't, but boy, we're starting to see the darkness at the end of the tunnel now. <laughs> in Sing Away, you touch on something that has you know, never to the extent that the story behind that song um, imparts, but. The fact I've long been aware that that you know there was a time in you know in the '60s someone would say something a little off color about someone, and that might become what you call passive gossip. Now because it's indelible and it's posted, and those words don't go away. And anonymous. And anonymous, yeah. It's a little bit like politicians giving you a. Uh, what do they call that? The fake truth or whatever they call it. that stuff sticks with the people that want to hear those words. Mm-hmm. So if someone doesn't like that girl and that girl is, you know, a good girl, but someone says she's not a good girl um, to the point where they call her a whore or they say she's been with everybody in the in the school, you, you can't argue with that. It, it becomes a post that hurts and it sticks to it's indelible. It goes beyond. It goes beyond that, man. If you look at some of the stuff that that bullyism gets, they're actually like people gaining up. Like you're worthless. You're useless. You should kill yourself. These children are saying these things, and like in the song, and I talk about these victimizing victims. You don't get like that by not by accident. You're not born like that. Right. You you've been victimized. People, the boys. I got raped when I was eight years old, beaten up by teenage boys and raped. You think that they weren't, that wasn't done to them? Of course it was. And as an older person, I've I've come to a point in my life where I have to forgive them. I have to forgive those children. This is not anecdotal. This happened. Yeah. No, this happened. Oh, my God. This happened. Wow, man. Yeah, man. Wait till the... I'm I'm starting to write the book in about two months. I, it's going to be a good one. You guys should check it out. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stories. I've lived a lot of lives, as as most of us have. I'll have to say that that comes across the the honesty in your voice and in your lyrics are the the first thing that I thought of when I heard "Year of the Tiger" and "Sing Away," and I was listening, 
It's like the lyrics are in your face and heartfelt, plain spoken, yet they're literate and they're smothered in honesty. And I, I believe that you believe what you're saying. And I find that to be the most important thing about a song to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kudos awesome. to you because well, I mean, I, I'm sorry for things that you went through to, for me to believe what you're saying about whatever situation you're talking about, but man, you're, you're sure doing a hell of a job doing it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And well said, I appreciate you saying that. It, it, it's like as a songwriter, um, getting away from the AI thing, you know, and I'm, I'm old school when it comes down to it is like, you know, I write songs that like because a lot of my songs deal with intense personal issues and they come oftentimes most of the time from first person because I'm, I'm I like I'm a storyteller I like storytellers I like people that tell stories one of my favorite songs of all time is a song called Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan oh it's in my top five come on well, now it's it's yeah. one of the best songs ever written as far as I'm concerned no yeah. question and, and, and have you ever noticed that time is is malleable malleable in that song absolutely it's, oh which is fantastic and he got and that from his paint his painting classes i believe he was taking 100 what a guy that went through so much from like the early late 50s busking and the early 60s and the folk thing into the electric blonde on blonde into that era and then into the 70s. just fascinating um we have a song called Learning How to Smile that's on our fourth album, which is Songs from American Movie Volume 1, Learning How to Smile. That's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And that was inspired by Tinkled Up in Blue. It's just a story of a, a couple of kids just, you know, going through life. One of them does some time for selling acid. Um, they, the other one's doing phone sex. And, you know, it was like a more modern, early 2000 version of that but they you know and it's it's still one of those songs that i'm really proud of that uh it when people ask me what my favorite songs are that's one of them um but my point earlier was that i write songs pretty much three ways you know like i'd say about a third of my songs are autobiographical and then i think another third are I take things from my life, things I read, things I hear or, or know from other people, and I create composite characters and I create a story around them. And then uh, the other third are songs that I just come up with, right? That's the right story. And if if I if you can't tell which is which, I'm doing my job. Because of how social media has become the preschool and the high school, and, and frankly, the world's platform for 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 abuse and, and bullying is both political and social. I, I've always enjoyed uh, uh, the observation that the Facebook platform was a weapon. And when I've been doing these 40th anniversary box sets with Rush and the last album, Signals, had a song called The Weapon. To be honest with you, brother, I, I, I found Rush um, when... Uh, uh, 76 and it became my huge that my favorite band even as i got into punk rock and stuff i was always a rush fan up until uh signals was the last album i bought it got too keyboardy for me after that you know 
But um, I saw I actually saw them. I I saw them on the tour that they did with Primus. Yeah, me and my pregnant my pregnant uh, girlfriend at the time. Um, I bought tickets that day. They went on sale, and I went down there and got great tickets. Um, and we watched it, and it, it was it was tremendous. And I, I it might have been the Presto tour, but it, they had the huge. They had the huge um, inflatable rabbits on stage. That would have been Presto. That's right. Yeah. That was Presto for sure. Yeah. Anyways, it's just a big monolithic F from Facebook. And it was inspired by the Dennis Miller comment, never have lives less lived been so chronicled, um, which I thought was a great line. <laughs> we do social media because we have to. Um, I don't do it. I don't do it personally. You have a background in in art. I mean, did you ever? I mean, I always ask musicians that because you know Bowie did, Lennon did. Uh, everybody went to art. Genesis went to art school. You know, so I, I've just always been really creative. I've always. Yeah. I grew up in a time when, like, when Jimmy Page produced, wrote, yeah. did all that stuff. Neil yeah. Young did everything. You know? yeah, yeah, and that those. Those guys, and especially Neil Young and Springsteen and guys like that, their voices of of them, you know, weren't like really traditional rock voices. No, neither was Getty, by the way. Um, no, <laughs> you know, and um, I was always drawn to that more so than. I mean, Robert <laughs> Plant is the you know. Yeah, Neil is sneaky. He gets though. a pass. Neil Young, <laughs> Neil Young is sneaky because his voice suits his music so much. Well, that and that's what I aspired to, you know. Yeah, yeah, and when yeah. you were talking about albums, like every album I've done to me has been thematic, mm. not yeah. necessarily a a concept record. Yeah, definitely thematic. And I pulled songs off the record that I wrote and recorded and pissed off the label. <laughs> big time because they're Cause like they didn't, that's a hit song didn't. on the record i go it doesn't fit the record yeah yeah it doesn't matter yeah. look, look at the contract right. remember we signed that contract <laughs> <laughs> look at that yeah remember you, you, were, you were the last yeah, one standing when the right. other 30 went away yeah <laughs> so let's talk about the new live record a little bit kind of that was this is the first live record you guys have done right well you know what's weird is we did a live record that back in like i think 29 2009, 2010, maybe 2011. Uh, we did a live album for Sony, and they only pressed 20,000 copies of it, and you can't find it anywhere. And it wasn't very, it wasn't really good. It wasn't indicative of what I wanted to do. Um, this album is a big deal to me because it's one show. It's not a bunch of like taken from different shows. Um, it's, and it's documented. I'm working on the video for it right now. We It's all videotaped as well. And I, I like it because it shows the difference between uh, our live show and our, our more produced records. That's what I was going to comment on. I well, think everything sounds heavier and rocks harder in the live context to me here in these. That's what we grew up with. Always sound heavier live. Produced. Yeah. And, and the band sound. If you saw... Like first time I saw Rush was on the uh, Farewell to Kings tour, and I had to scalp tickets, and it was a big deal. Some I got tickets in the front row, not uh, of uh, 
beyond the orchestra pit at the Santa Monica Civic, which I grew up in Santa Monica, so it's a big deal, and saw them with UFO. And it, it was like they were heavy and it didn't have none of the bells and whistles. It was because that's live was because back then people didn't have tracks or stuff like that. If you want augmented stuff, you had people come out and play with you, you know, um, now, unless you were the who, and they tried to do it a few times till Keith Moon would just throw the headphones off and well, forget it. You know. Well, the, remember ELO in the seventies got accused of like taping their whole show. Uh, but other than that, nowadays, Everybody uses tracks. Everybody uses rhythm tracks, even vocal well, tracks. To, to Rush's mm -hmm. credit, they just got they, they just got good certain triggers, yes. Um, but they wouldn't just be cues that were playing um disassociated from their show. They they got good with their feet. Um Getty got with the Taurus the Taurus pedals. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a Rush fan, dude. I know. No, I knew when they started using the little moogs and the Taurus pedals and stuff like that. I saw yeah. them on that tour. That was the Farewell the Kings tour before they didn't have keyboards on, you know, and I I actually saw them before opening for Ted Nugent at the forum. Um, and that was the first time I went and saw them with a friend of mine. And uh they were just like a power trio, right? Um, but my point is. We've always been more of a punk rock band, guitars, no bells and whistles. And then our our recorded records, I because I grew up in the 70s, that's what bands did. You made them more textured, more layers, more dynamic, so that you could listen to it more times and get more stuff out of it. And but live, it's all one or two dimensional. And we still doesn't play with tracks. Our, we have walk-on music which is an intro, a vocal intro to a song, one of our songs, and then we kick into that song. But that's not tracks. We don't play to that. Do you write with an, with an ear and an eye towards knowing whether or not you can perform this live? Or do you, do you write some songs that you know are going to be album only and, and such, you know, such as, as, as it will be, you, you, you know you'll never play it live? Or, or is it all playable live? Well, to me, it's all playable live, but it might change a lot. Like there's a song on our fourth album, Learning How to Smile, songs from American Movie called Annabella Song, which is about my daughter. And I had written it. The original version of that was a rock song. But then for that record, we did a very Frank Sinatra like we, we got an old arranger who had worked for Mel Torme back in the day. And he did this big orchestral thing that they recorded in studio a at, at capitol records at capitol oh, wow. studios and it was just a big deal and i sang to it in the booth you know where where uh sinatra used to like have sex with multiple women at a time apparently yeah but uh, i mean god but, bless him <laughs> yeah god bless him the, the first rock star but um yeah. you know i that I still will play that song solo. I'm doing a solo tour in Australia coming up in February. And I always get requests to do that song. And I just mm. play it the way I wrote it. You know, it sure. all starts from somewhere. It all starts with a voice and a guitar for me. And it's still the song. And that's what really matters. Still right? the song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you hit the hook, it's going to be the song. But 
it's fun and I think appropriate to produce some songs more than others, but I don't feel like you have to recreate the album live. I've never felt that. The way you guys approached the material was great, I thought. And I was actually going back and referencing saying, man, guitar sounds a lot heavier now, more pleasing to my ear on, on, on the tunes. Did you guys touch up anything at all? There was three lines where I was off mic that I hit with the same, the same live mic in the studio. Right. And I hit that, um, very little tuning, very little pro tooling. Um, if you listen to it, you can hear sloppy stuff. You can hear you know, lines that in every song that aren't perfectly tuned and, and it's real though. It sounds great. It's real. It sounds like a real rock. That's like a band. Like a rock show. And you Come can on the crowd. You can hear, you know, glasses clinking and favorite reference points to that uh, beautiful imperfection um, with perfection being the enemy of good. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, is the Beatles. I mean, listen to Ringo's foot, for example. You know, it's just it's it's brilliant that they are who they are and were so prolific and so good sounding. And yet, you know, virtual, virtual, virtuosic virtuosic players they weren't you know yeah. well and, and, and any of the albums that i grew up with in the 60s and late 60s and 70s especially mm -hmm. and you listen back to that stuff even albums that i thought at the time were super produced like aerosmith rocks yeah your voice notes off you can hear kicks mm -hmm. missing yep. hear yeah stuff there's like clams that. here and there it's yeah. rock and roll. Come yeah, on now. Yeah, and rock and roll. Said you picked the whiskey a go-go of all places. You know, the birds, Arthur Lee and Love, The Doors, Frank Zappa, Keep and Guns N' Roses, and Motley Crue. You guys are, uh, that's hollowed ground right there to mm -hmm. be rocking in. So. You know, I, I grew up in L.A. And um, until that show, I'd never played the whiskey. I've been to the whiskey hundreds really? of times. Wow. Really? Wow. Really? I had... Friends of mine playing. I saw big bands play there. Um, saw X play there. L.A. punk band. Oh, wow, cool. Favorite bands of all time. Um, been to great shows there. Been backstage. Got into fistfights backstage. Blacked out drunk. Had sex with other guys' girlfriends while they were on stage. Did drugs. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> now we're going, boys. But, as, one, as one does. As, hey, when in Rome, right? But yeah, <laughs> now but we're I talking. Never played there for some reason. I played everywhere else, but I had never played there. So when we, it was an underplay when we got offered that show. But I'm like, fuck it, man. Let's just play that show. Let's and if those walls could talk, right? All those classic acts. Great place wow. to do a live record. It's bigger than the Roxy and Rainbow or Troubadour. So you've got that going. Yeah, I think the legal, the legal is four seventy five or four fifty. Uh, legal capacity but um we put i knew there was over 600 probably yeah, well the, st the stones played to 350 people at the elma combo in toronto which elma combo oh yeah, yeah that's right love you lot Heath almost never got out of there yeah spent his life the rest of his life there whoops their live version of of chuck berry's uh round and round on that is one of my favorites. oh that's that's badass you're on the love you live record yeah love you live yeah I love it. The too. one at the Elma Combo. Then there was the mm -hmm. one at the arena. One right? side, one side was Elma Combo, but I think they've released that whole thing now, the whole show. 
the whole show, really? I think I think so. I'm pretty sure. Maybe a couple of years ago. I love rock and roll. I love old school rock and roll. Dave Edmonds, Nick Lowe. I love that stuff. I love, I love, I love all sorts of music, but my affinity is rock and roll. And I think a lot of it came, and I've heard other people have these kind of epiphanies. It's like, you know, I grew up in a black neighborhood, so I listened to a lot of soul, funk, a lot of rock, you know, uh, and a lot of different things. But for a short period, and like when I was 11 and 12, I was listening to a station in LA called K Earth 101, which was oldies. And it played songs from the 50s and 60s. And I fell in love at that age with Chuck Berry and Little Richard and um and all the one hit wonder great songs that, that came out, you know. And Everly Brothers. Yeah, I love that. I love those harmonies. I, as I got older, well, I grew up with a hillbilly mom, so I I have the Leuven brothers, um, oh. which 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 were kind of a, an influence on we. I stole the title of a band of my band, the Easy Hose, which is kind of a country alternative country record. It, they had a record called Tragic Songs of Life, and I stole that title for that. They also had an album called Satan Is Real. <laughs> oh, that's the one I've seen. That's the one that uh... with a big like Satan and the guys are like. Like that, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was capital. Yeah. Very influential on the Burrito Brothers for sure. Yeah. Those guys were. What was the first concert that you went to and paid for your ticket as a fan? Okay, the first concert I went to was when I was eleven in Bakersfield, California. My aunt took me to see Chuck Berry. At the oh, my God. that's cool. Okay, now go back to when I was four, nineteen sixty-six. I was at the Venice clamshell which is like the band band shell down on the beach that i don't think is there anymore um but they used to have free concerts there and i went with my brother and my big sister and apparently saw and i remember vaguely um seeing the doors i remember i remember jim morrison scared me because he was screaming and jumping around you know, i was four but my first concert that I paid for, ditched school, lied to my mom, because that's what we did in the 70s, mm -hmm. um, was a, a concert called the Cal California Jam. And oh, I remember that. In, yeah. in 75, I just turned 12. It was, was on that? My brother died about three months before my brother died. And his uh, friends took me. He was supposed to take me, but his friends took me. And um, Black Sabbath, ELP... Black Oak, Arkansas. Blackman turnover. I got my next call coming in, boys. You guys got it. All right. Well, let's wrap. Thank you, Art, for the time. We so appreciate it. It's been a great conversation with you. And best of, best of continued luck to you. Thank you, brother. It was yeah. so nice to talk to you guys, man. You guys are really articulate intelligent and um it's nice not being the oldest guy in the room <laughs> <laughs> congratulations you damn it <laughs> no. i'm i'm second no. though but you're okay. right behind me you're okay. right behind I, I me. might have Andy by a couple of years but not yeah. you guys <laughs> yeah it's it sucks being 52 man yeah. <laughs> uh, there we go. I, i'm yeah. looking forward to my 50s i hear they're i hear they're, uh, yeah yeah I hear Dane, they're gonna be Dane says they're great oh they're wonderful All yeah right. Take care. See you, boys. So you guys are all older, right? Yep. 
Yep. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ancient. Well, so have I'm, you guys had your colonoscopies and and I've and had the, two. Just schedule had, just schedule my next one if you guys want to come by and say hi. I just <laughs> had my I had my second one last night, dude. Good. And well, I'll tell you what, make sure I get the double scope. Make sure that they do your throat first. You don't want them using that same scope. It's like, whoa, no, up here first. And then, <laughs> man, yeah. it's, it's, you know what, dude? I've been a touring musician for 35 years. I put worse things in my right. <laughs> <laughs>